Welcome to School of Movies. <laughs> the Rambo series. First Blood. John Rambo. A drifter. Just passing through their town. Morning! Headed north or south? North. Now jump in. I'll make sure you're heading the right direction. Huh? You got some place I can eat around here? There's a diner about 30 miles up the highway. Is there any law against me getting something here? Yeah, me. I want you to book this gentleman for vagrancy, resisting arrest, carrying a concealed weapon. They knew he was innocent. Starting to dislike you a lot. And they didn't give a damn. That's okay, Warren. Don't worry about the soap. He's tough. Just shave him. Drag Don't move. I don't want you to cut your own throat. John Rambo. One man who's been pushed too far. You're finished! You've gone as far as you're gonna go! And straight for the top. Right on top of him. There's no way out of here except through us. He was hunted. Trapped. Except the fact that you're dealing with an expert in guerrilla warfare. Are you telling me that 200 men against your boy is a no-win situation for us? You send that money, don't forget one thing. A good supply of body bags. Sylvester Stallone. This time, he's fighting for his life. First blood. In this episode, Sharon and I are covering the five Rambo films released to date, namely First Blood, First Blood Part 2 Rambo, Rambo 3, Rambo, and Last Blood. Imagine being an alien and having that list reeled off to you. It makes no grammatical <laughs> sense. We're going to start with the first one, First Blood, made in 1982, on a budget of $18 million, directed by Ted Kotcheff from the book by David Morrell. Very specifically written about a Vietnam War veteran several years after his return home, suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder. Editor's note. We recorded the first four of these... A long time ago, before Last Blood was even announced. So our coverage of Last Blood will be kind of an epilogue to those. John Rambo, played by Sylvester Stallone, wanders on foot into Hope, which is in Washington State, uh, to meet with an old buddy of his who turns out to have died of cancer the previous year. Cancer caused by exposure to Agent Orange in the field. And that's a really important detail. Rambo's friend and brother-in-arms was killed by the American military... After it served his call of duty, they unintentionally set a time bomb in his system. On attempting to walk out of the town, Rambo falls afoul of grim-faced, sneering Sheriff Teasel, who is played by Brian Dennehy. First off, he's like, you got anywhere to eat? No, we have nowhere to eat in this town. <laughs> and then he drives about the town after making it plain that Rambo isn't welcome. And then when Rambo starts to walk back, he arrests him. 
so they take him back to the police station and they start to, like that they, they treat him incredibly badly and then they start to try to shave him and cut his hair and he starts having flashbacks of being detained and tortured by the Viet Cong and then he kicks all of their asses and escapes the police station, uh, escapes on a motorbike and, and goes up a mountain and takes to the chilly woods and so begins a game of cat and mouse with the police force who pursue him relentlessly. Uh, somehow they get hold of John's commanding officer, Colonel Troutman, uh, played by Richard Craner, to advise and tell the cops that they are dealing with a perfect survivalist and he does nothing but talk about how awesome Rambo is, basically. And that, and he tells them, basically, the gist of it is, you should stop attacking him. Let me talk to him. They don't stop attacking him. Um, there's one death in this film, and that's from a particularly nasty police officer who's even more nasty than Sheriff Teasel, who is, like, he's really sadistic, and uh, he's pursuing Rambo with a sniper rifle and ends up inadvertently falling out of a helicopter onto some sharp rocks. And that's the one death, and Rambo didn't cause it himself on purpose. You know, it, it's a tragedy nonetheless. Now, this is very different from the book. Uh, from the sounds of it, the, the Rambo character in the book was a lot less of a compassionate underdog-type figure. And, uh, you know, many, many cops die, as do several civilians, apparently. Uh, and also, so does Teasel at the end of this. Also, so does Rambo at the end of this. No more sequels. Ooh. Had you ever seen First Blood before? Um, I think I had. It, it didn't... I didn't remember it very specifically, but there were lots of scenes in it that seemed um, awfully familiar. That could just be because I've seen enough clips of it in various things. Um, or that certain parodies of it have done such an incredible job that it, it made me <laughs> feel like I'd seen the original. Well, I had seen it before, and um, I, I remember quite liking it but finding it kind of stressful it's, it's, it's a stressful action movie mm. he suffers the whole way through it there's a lot of yeah. parallels with it clearly it very much inspired the metal gear series he's mm. uh, he's a model for snake as much as snake pliskin is from uh, escape from new york um especially the survival stuff in uh, metal gear 3 and you know he, he gets badly hurt and has to sew himself back up again and he lives off the land he, he like catches snakes but he's played with incredible conviction by Stallone. and He gives another of those incredible physical performances like he did in Rocky. And because John doesn't have that many words to say in the film, he has to convey so much through body language and through his eyes. So at the beginning when he's asking questions and just trying to get through, he has to get the whole audience on side with him by showing you through his eyes that each of the questions he asks Teasel is entirely justified. Then when the police grab him and abuse him, and you get those flashbacks, he has to manifest fear in a very raw form. This is what the whole movie hangs on. If he doesn't convince us then, no Rambo. And that's when all of his reactions and body movements speed up. So then when he's escaping and he's in the truck, there's this desperation in his face, and we have to be with that and with him. But at the same time, what the filmmakers are conveying is, this is getting out of hand. So that by the time he's in the forest, being a survival nut, we've now invested in Rambo, but we're kind of dreading any clashes with the cops. Much like Planet of the Apes and Arrival, it is, on some levels, depending on your personal point of view, an anti-action movie, where you don't want things to get explosive. You want Richard Krenner to be able to talk this down. And at the end, when he falls apart, that has to feel true as well. And I think that's where Stallone seals the deal. 
That's where his performance elevates this movie. The thing that struck me most about this one is that there's kind of a weird tone shift throughout the whole thing. It keeps slaloming back and forth between, look what we have done, look what our country has done to our fighting men, because he's clearly traumatized and wrecked. Uh, and then occasionally it, it pretty much goes, as Rambo like barges over through bridges on motorbikes and in trucks and is like, yeah, Rambo! Like, really? you probably shouldn't be going, yeah, Rambo in this. I mean, I don't know, maybe you should, but if this was made today, maybe the whole point would be that he, you should feel really sorry for him and a little bit scared of him. Mm. I think uh, the closest equivalent is actually a film called uh, The Hunted uh, with Benicio Del Toro, uh, and where Tommy Lee Jones is the Troutman character consigned to bring him in, and he's, he's gone. He's loco. I think the um, the whole yeah Rambo angle um, it, it doesn't seem in this first one like that's what they intend the audience to take away from it um, but there is just enough ambiguity in this one um, for it to be a case of if you're seeing this from the perspective of he's he is this way and he responds this way because of the shit that's been thrown at him over the course of his life. Yeah. Um, and and now, basically, he wouldn't be acting this way were it not for these uh, jumped-up authority types who've kind of put him on the, the back foot and, and made him respond very defensively in mm. a way that he wouldn't normally do so. Then I suppose you could allow for sort of a little bit of, yeah, Rambo's socking it to those authority figures who make us feel trapped and make us feel like we're backed into a corner. Mm. Um, it's very easy right now to see police officers stepping above their uh, station and being deliberately sadistic in a kind of, yep, that's really relevant right yeah, now. Yeah, absolutely. And I think they do... One thing that really uh, quite impressed me, which I wasn't expecting, actually, was the, the fact that they do have enough just about different perspectives within that small sheriff's department that you don't ever feel like the message of the movie is police or law enforcement officers are all bastards and if you're not a law enforcement officer and you don't fit the template of what they like then they will treat you this horrible way it's mainly teasel he's he's primarily the driving force behind this there's a couple of other guys that are sort of like yeah i got my rifle yeah i got my hunting dog you know let's go and get let off some rounds but you've got other people within that department who are doing as they're told but are clearly uncomfortable with it you've got people who openly question the way teasel is behaving um, and you've got people who kind of just seem like they're doing their job and don't take any particular joy or concern out of it so I, I like the fact that you did have that variety in the, um, in the perception of the officers. Mm. Though the double-edged sword of that is the a few bad apples concept. So rather than this being a systemic pattern of aggressive overreaction in America's police forces, it's just one or two bad cops. But it's fairly clear that's not the story they were trying to tell with First Blood. It was the, you train a man for war and war is what they become cautionary tale the alternate ending or the one that was in the book at least um rambo seems to want to die at the hands of the people that he's fighting with there's this kind of like sense that he's earned 
the right to like it, the, the combat is something that he is now achieving again and he's kind of like you know he's alive again and he you know he's seeking to die at the hands of a cop so basically he has a shootout first off he tries to blow his own chest up with dynamite and uh, then he has a shootout with teasel hoping that teasel will shoot him and he accidentally shoots teasel fatally and he's like oh kind of meant to, for him to shoot me there but you know he's also bleeding out and uh, then he is mercifully relieved of his life when uh, Captain Troutman, because he gets promoted in the film, uh, blows his head off with a shotgun. The end. The end. Uh, in the film, it's 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 different. It moves from the um, woods where he's been surviving back to the town, and and it actually starts to look like Rambo's going to become a, a bit of a danger to everyone because he sets a, an ammunition shop, a gun shop, on fire, like piling all the ammunition into the middle of the floor and setting it on fire. It's like, well, those bullets could go everywhere. They could just start, you know, firing through houses and explode, you know, through kids. And John, you're a danger to society. Then Teasel, he like throws him through a skylight or something like that, and he's about to kill him, and Troutman turns up and says, no, 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 Rambo, we must not kill police officers. And up until this point in the film, First Blood itself has not really been able to contend with modern-day action thrillers. But then there's this final performance, and it is incendiary, and it gives us a glimpse into this chaotic mind, traumatized and abused. And while it doesn't excuse his actions, it correlates them with his experiences. This is the thesis of the story. And this is the reason there should have been no more Rambo films. It's over, Johnny. It's over! Nothing is over! Nothing! You just don't turn it off! It wasn't my war! You asked me, I didn't ask you! And I did what I had to do to win! But somebody wouldn't let us win! And I come back to the world! And I see all those maggots at the airport protesting me, spitting, calling me baby killer and all kinds of vile crap. Who are they to protest me, huh? Who are they? Unless they've been me and been there and know what the hell they're yelling about. It was a bad time for everyone, Rambo. It's all in the past now. For you! For me, civilian life is nothing. In the field, we had a code of honor. You watch my back, I watch yours. Back here, there's nothing. You're the last of an elite group. Don't end it like this. Back there, I can fly a gunship. I can drive a tank. I was in charge of million-dollar equipment. Back here, I can't even hold the job. Fucking guys! Ah! Oh, I can't. Oh. Just... oh, God. Where is everybody? God, I can't. I, just... I had a friend. Was the Air Force. I had all these guys, man. Back there, I had all these fighting guys. Who were my friends? Because back here, there's nothing. Remember Dan Forth? He wore his black headband, I took one of those magic markers, and I said it found. He mailed us to Las Vegas, because we were always talking about Vegas, and this fucking car, this red 58 Chevy convertible, he's talking about this car. He said, we're going to cruise till the tires fall off. in this bar in Saigon, and this kid comes up. This kid carrying a shoeshine box. And he says, uh, shine, please, shine. I said, no, and he kept asking, yeah. And Joey said, yeah. And I went to get a couple of beers, and the, the box is wired, and he opened up the box, fucking blew his body all over the place. 
He's laying there and he's fucking screaming his pieces of them all over me. Just like, like this. And I'm trying to pull him off, you know. And it's my friend that's all over me. He's got blood and everything. And I'm trying to hold him together. I put him together. His fucking insides keep coming out. And nobody would help. No one helped me say, please, I want to go home. I want to go home. We keep calling my leg. I want to go home, Johnny. I want to drop my Chevy. I said, well, what? I can't find your fucking legs. I can't find your legs. I can't get out of my head. I can't even seven years. Every day happens. Sometimes I wake up and I don't know where I am. I don't talk to anybody. Sometimes a day. Last week. I can't put it out of my mind. I read a, a piece recently about where have the um, vulnerable action heroes gone? Like the the idea being that you know, thanks to all these superhero movies, we don't have them anymore. Well, that's bollocks for a start. Superheroes, you know, by and large, are some of the more vulnerable of action heroes. There, there was never really a time period when vulnerable action heroes reigned supreme without there being lots of other types of invulnerable action heroes to basically balance that out. And basically, as we came into the 80s, there was a lot of, like, strapping, like, juiced-up, type heroes, Stallone being one of them. But this one, he falls apart. He shows that a man can break, despite being incredibly tough. And it's it's really excellent uh, in, in, a, in a harrowing way. And, and also, it calls attention to the really real world issue basically this film first blood is about something bigger than what's going on in this film and that's why i respect it and like it more than any of the rest of these yeah it's a tiring movie to sit through but it does have that sense of purpose and at the end rambo goes off to jail and uh, is alive but it's it, it feels like he's been pulled back from the edge because troutman's there to support him and, and it's just very very lucky that he was there well, that, um, that element of what you were talking about before with the whole suicide by cop thing that was present in the book but not so much in the in the film, I think the angle that they seem to take with it um, in the film, and it, it's entirely possible that this is there in the book as well, was that he, he had this kind of survivor guilt that he was carrying with mm. him um, and that there was possibly a little of an element there of if this went south and he did end up getting killed, that wouldn't be so bad because he would get to be with his team. Mm. Um, and I, I liked the little um, hints that they threaded through it to, to put that in. When Troutman first turns up and um, and John's basically completely gone, he's sat in a cave somewhere, um, he's got a radio but he's not really talking to anybody, um, he's certainly not responding positively to the, the sheriff's department and Troutman basically recognises the state of mind that he's in and uses that to make a connection with him. He actually starts talking on the radio as if he's calling for the team and thereby he gets uh, John to respond to him by saying, sir, they're all dead. And, and obviously Troutman knows that because he, he comes back with the one that he was looking for in the beginning. Uh, he made it. And then they have the conversation about the fact that they, he'd gone to. There's a, a poignancy in those exchanges that really gets across that, 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 you know, it might be a little bit gung ho in the action department, but you almost you can almost miss the quality of this first one 
until you move on to the sequels. And then it becomes blatantly apparent that there is a subtlety and a refinement in First Blood, the likes of which you are never going to see in this franchise again. Yeah. And then you become all that more appreciative of it. Yeah. It's got it's got that going for it. There's also, specifically at the beginning, when he's wandering around in his old fatigues, that, that sense of a warrior coming back from a war and having no place in, in um, regular society, that's, that's something very ancient and symbolic. And uh, I, I think there's a timeless tragedy to that scenario. Someone who lays their life on the line for their country, regardless of the politics of the war itself which, let's face it, is almost always going to be about extremely powerful men trying to become more powerful. The troops, the ones who step out into the firing lines, should warrant a certain level of respect, if not at least courtesy, from those who have not seen war. And from everything we've seen, the Vietnam veterans did not get that when they came home. Which is especially wretched considering that America operated on the draft at that point. A lot of men had no choice but to go to war and to stay at war. There almost seems to be actually at the beginning, um, there's a, he's so upright and there's something so noble about uh, Sylvester Stallone's profile. Um, I, I kind of had this feeling that they were going for a sense of almost like a last samurai type. Yeah. Uh, approach that or that he's, he's a ronin he has exactly no that he's anymore, a yeah. he's a ronin who's lost his team he's lost his purpose um oh, so, and, so it's like the wolverine then yeah living in the woods hanging out with bears yeah yeah maybe they should have just let him go up to the border and over and canada would have been potentially in all seriousness, far more welcome yeah he really uh, he, sh- he should just have gone and been grizzly man instead mm, yeah maybe so so Who found a small child to tour the tour the countryside with. That that would have been good. Unfortunately, didn't happen. No. We got First Blood Part Two, Rambo. Should we move on to this one now? Yeesh. Uh, yes. Um, just just a slight um, one final point on um, the original. Actually, That's the fun. final speech that he has with um, Troutman mm. when he's spilling out all of this stuff about how he's feeling and and how it's it's left him i actually really liked how that balanced out the fact that he said hardly anything throughout the rest of the film yeah it's and that really does fit with the the tone of um a lot of uh how traumatic conditions leave people that they find themselves unable to properly express how they feel they don't even really seem to know what they're feeling a lot of the time because they're so good at cutting off from it but once the right person trips the gate and opens it up that stuff can just come pouring out and and it would have been very easy if the if the words he'd been given in the script and the way he delivered it had been very glib and and um, you know everything had been completely clear and um, politically insightful, it wouldn't have felt genuine. But because it's literally just there's all this stuff, a lot of which you can't really hear because he's kind of he mumbles some of it into his chest and then he's crying and shouting and you can't always make out what he's saying, what happens in one sentence doesn't necessarily connect to the next and it really does give it this feeling of of authenticity and, and genuine hurt um which really did quite impress me i was I, I i mean i've i've seen stallone do performances before that have, have come very close to blowing me away and this would fall into that category yeah 
What I appreciate the most about this film is that the audience is most likely to comprise of those who lean slightly more to the right, both then and now. And by the end, the compassionate eye of the camera on John as he falls apart has shifted inexorably to the left, but in an inarguable way that unites the audience regardless of personal politics. Your heart is supposed to ache for this ghost of a man and what was done to him. If a viewer's response to this outburst is quit crying and man up you little bitch, their empathy is simply broken. This film certainly won't delight everyone, but the message at the end is clear across all lines. If we mistreat our soldiers, they will be fighting forever. And that is not a good thing for anyone. Unless you're a studio executive and you see the box office receipts for the $15 million budgeted First Blood pulling in $125 million, then you do want a soldier to keep on fighting because it's gonna make you richer than astronauts. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you Rambo First Blood Part 2. Joined Army 6 June 69. Accepted Special Forces. Helicopter and language qualified. Expert in light weapons and guerrilla warfare. Sylvester Stallone is back as Rambo. Rambo's the best combat vet I've ever seen. His mission, to locate American POWs in Vietnam. Think you'll find someone? POWs? Doubtful. His orders, not to engage the enemy. We've got 36 hours to complete the mission and reach the extraction point. We're going down! You're not going anywhere. I'm telling you to abort. Double-crossed and left behind enemy lines. Dude, spoiler warning. And folks, I don't want to hear anyone ever complain that now all trailers do is tell you the whole movie. They've been fucking doing it for decades. You're the one who's making the mistake. Yeah, what mistake? Rambo. And now... He's getting out any way he can. Rambo, what most people call hell, he calls home. No man, no law. No war can stop him. Sylvester Stallone is back. As Rambo, First Blood, Part 2. So slalom to the other side of things. I'm just going to read you the poster here because that actually kind of says it all. We pretty much don't need to review it. They sent him on a mission and set him up to fail, but they made one mistake. They forgot they were dealing with Rambo. First Blood Part 2 is a restaging of the final skirmish of Vietnam, whereby America, in the form of one man, wins Vietnam. 
and the filthy Russians get involved as well, and he beats them too, because it's the middle of the Cold War. Okay, um, this was written by <laughs> James Cameron, someone who we already know has very strong feelings on uh, war and violence, and you know, in that odd kind of conflicted, talking about how the, the, you know, they're terrible, terrifying, something that we need to rise above as a species, but also kind of you know, lovingly running his camera over the hardware and going, whoa, look at that, eh? Well, let's put it this way. He's approaching it from a standpoint of, guys, let's not kill each other. How about that? That, yeah. Sylvester Stallone didn't like that. And uh, from the sounds of was it, pretty it much... Was it Stallone or was it other people? Uh, James Cameron wrote the first draft under the title First Blood 2. Cameron had been recommended by David Guiler, who did some uncredited script work for the first film. Cameron's script... Had, uh, remember, it was the it was Wagner and... Um, Kassar. Kassar uh, Mario Kassar, who uh, produced these films, and uh, they all did The Terminator, so that's how they got him in. Yeah. Cameron's script had the same basic structure of the first film, but had a character of Rambo's sidekick. Stallone later recalled... I think James Cameron is a brilliant talent, but I thought the politics were important, such as a right-wing stance coming from Troutman and his nemesis Murdoch, contrasted by Rambo's obvious neutrality, which I believe is explained in Rambo's final speech. I realize his speech at the end may have caused millions of viewers to burst veins in their eyeballs by rolling them excessively, but the sentiment stated was conveyed to me by many veterans. Also in his original draft, this is Cameron again, took nearly 30 or 40 pages to have any action initiated, and Rambo was partnered with a techie sidekick. So it was more than just politics that we put into the script, there was also a simpler storyline. If James Cameron's, and this is the bit that makes me laugh, if, if James Cameron says anything more that, than that, then he realizes he's now doing the backstroke badly in a pool of lies. That's such a florid statement. It is. It's a Doing little dramatic. Doing the backstroke really, badly it? in a pool of lies. Hmm. Uh, why didn't he just stop? With there was also a simpler storyline. So ultimately, the, this movie had to be um, more straightforward than what Cameron was going for. You just you be gracious about it. You don't say. Let me tell you, if Jim Cameron says anything else, he's eating a hamburger made of falsehoods and he's dipping his fries in delusion sauce. In this, Troutman comes to find Rambo now in prison, who seems to be doing well in prison, actually. He's hanging around with a bunch of guys, not dissimilar to squaddies. He's cracking rocks. He seems quite peaceful. He's behind the fence, but he's not giving him terrible flashbacks. And uh, Troutman says, there's... <sighs> I can't, I can't, I can't even. I can't even. Troutman says, there's still some guys interred in a Vietnam prison camp. And we need a guy to go in and rescue them. Basically, like, the last dregs of Vietnam are still being fought. We need one man to go in and rescue them. Rambo says, yeah, okay, I'll do it. And then they kid him out with a bunch of stuff and then fly him to Mexico, doubling as Vietnam. Badly. They were doing backstroke in a pool of lies. If you've seen Hot Shots Part Dieu, this film is impossible to take seriously. Especially as Richard Krenner is basically playing the same character again, only now he's a dry straight man. Colonel, who are they? She's CIA. The other man's an extra. Ah. I'm not even sure you're supposed to take it seriously, but it's 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 it. It goes from being a political statement of the uh, the first film and a social statement and a, a, a rumination on war to being a really gung ho action movie where to survive war you got to become war. And then he's got his bow, and there's a bit where this Vietnam drill sergeant's firing a pistol at him from fucking miles away, and Rambo's like, "Nah, I am totally gonna blow you up with a." 
fucking grenade arrow and he just fires at him and this guy basically just explodes into meat and it is impossible to get the image out of my head of charlie sheen firing a chicken at a man or gizmo firing that flaming white out tipex bottle at the spider gremlin So Rambo meets up with his female contact in the field. His Meryl Silverberg, if you will. Cobal, Julie Nixon. Uh, and uh, she's she's the good Vietnam person. Uh, she's, a, you know, he, he catches her from behind and she sort of helps him. And like they, they take out a prison camp, rescue a guy. Then it turns out he was framed by Charles Napier, who basically represents the entire American government. And I had to check the specifics on this. Rambo was sent in as one of only three men able to do an infiltration mission. His orders were to photograph the prison camp where the POWs were still being held because the public want the government to act upon this. But he's not supposed to rescue anybody. He rescues a man against orders, and as it turned out, Murdoch never intended to rescue the troops. He was just going to leave them to save Congress the money it would take to buy their freedom and evade any possibility of further war. So in effect, Rambo was mixed up in a mission to make a show of caring about the troops without actually caring about the troops. But there's a pretty sizable flaw in this turn of events, because it is absolutely objectionable to lie to the people to make a pantomime of a rescue mission, to risk a soldier's life for good PR, and to do it because you don't want to spend government money. But that thing about wanting to evade any possibility of further war in Vietnam? That's really difficult to argue with, for me at least. You could condemn the government for wanting to stir shit up again in Vietnam, needlessly endangering thousands more people, but wanting to de-escalate tensions, surely that's a good thing. This film is really confused. And then Stephen Burkoff turns up as Lieutenant Colonel Sergei T. Podovsky, the mad Russian. He's basically the same Bond villain he played in Octopussy. And, and I kind of got quite a, a Bond feeling from this one. It became like another episode of Rambo. Which exotic locale is he going to be sent to to take out the enemies in this one? Mm, yeah, I think it actually occurred to me that the... Um uh, this reminds me a lot of that. There's a lot of um, similarities with Rocky Four. Yeah, yeah, especially with the jingoistic uh, speech yeah, at the end. Yeah, that basically it's like you know this is, is essentially this is here to make Americans feel good about themselves. Yeah, um, to uh, try and compensate for something which they fear they are losing at. Uh, and make them feel like there's a possibility that they could win because of Sylvester Stallone in what particular role he happens to be playing today. He was in a very specific mood that year. It was 1985, Rocky IV and Rambo two. Rambo, sorry, First Blood two, Rambo one. Ugh. Came out at the same time. Did they? Oh, that would explain it. Yeah, we, we found out it was just a few months apart. One oh, was yeah, the year, of one of them was the summer. So there's a lot of action in this film. There's a lot of killing, a lot of torture and self-repair and running around the place and making the most of a relatively low budget to make it feel like an epic war film. Again, it was $25 million and it made $300 million. So this was clearly hitting a lot of buttons for a lot of people at this time. But there's not too much we can say about this carnage when held in contrast against the rest of the carnage across the whole series. Aside from, this is violence, the audience is clearly supposed to want to happen. Which makes it impossible not to think of this trailer from Grand Theft Auto Vice City. 
This contains some horrendous Asian stereotyping and kind of skirts that line between it's satire and actually just repeating the same horrible shit that Grand Theft Auto games tend to do. There's a fine line between challenging rotten standards and perpetuating them. He was a man of peace living on a quiet farm in North Dakota till one day all hell broke loose. Tim, we need you. I'm a man of peace. I'm done killing. I want to raise a family. That's just it, Tim. They've got your family. No! Jack Howitzer is Tim in Exploder. From the heart of America to the jungles of Cambodia, follow one man's quest for peace. Gucci Bat, is that you? Tim, I know you come. Just like old days, we kill everybody. Tim, they've got your wife. But I'm not married. You are now to America. He went in to save his country, but found his family and lost a friend. Hochi! Tim, don't leave me. You taught me baseball, Tim, and how to rap. No! He would have been a fine American. I'll cry when I'm done killing. Get yourself a body bag, strap yourself in, start making friends the American way. Exploder. Evacuator Part 2. Rated PG. May include patriotic garbage. And the film ends with John giving another impassioned speech about his relationship to his country. You can't keep running, John. You're free now. Come back with us. Back to what? My friends died here. What do you mean, died here? The war, everything that happened here may be wrong, but damn it, don't hate your country for it. Hey, I die for it. And what is it you want? I want what they want. And every other guy who came over here has spilt his guts and gave everything he had once. For our country to love us as much as we love it. That's what I want. How we live, John. Day by day. So I actually wasn't eye-rolling at that point, but at the same time, it just happens to follow on the heels of one of the most disastrously like... type action movies ever. I mean, basically, what I found with this one and Rambo 3 specifically was these were the archetypal action films that are now being wholly subverted by today's action movies. These were the benchmarks. These were the just the, like meat and potatoes. These slant-eyed people are bad. Go in there and shoot them with all your guns and bows and arrows, and then they will be punished. 
Mm. Which makes me think that people who argue that that when you see that in a modern action movie, it's because they're imitating a video game. Nah, no. Yeah. There's a circle going on here, guys. <laughs> Although there was a Rambo 3 video game basically just the same as Commando. Well, yes, indeed. But I think the... the right, okay. This is anybody who has heard me talk about this is going to find this a very strange thing for me to say, and I apologise in advance. But one thing these films made me appreciate was stuff like Transformers. Because I know, I know. What? Because it made me realise, and I kind of knew this already, but it, it sort of solidified for me the fact that when you see a meaningless action movie these days, and, and I, I mean, you know, I'm still Such as, for example, Transformers. Transformers, which is, you know, soulless, empty, uh, has nothing in there except for visual shit that is, is just there to bump up the audience's adrenaline. I'm sorry, Michael Bay is not a filmmaker. He's a drug pusher. Um, <laughs> but they're competent, you know, they have they have actors and script writers and um, mm. effects makers who, when I say competent, I mean they are able to put. Do you need to look at the, the script screen. for Transformers Three again? Okay, maybe deep so. Wang. <laughs> deep wang. You're not getting it. You'll okay. get it. All right, fair enough. But but certainly in terms of of the acting, more is expected these days than the shit they used to get away with you know, back in the 80s, when it was literally just, if something went explody, that was all you needed. And whatever was happening around it was completely incidental. Yeah. I think I think you're doing backstroke in a pool of lies. <laughs> <laughs> but also, uh, Jerry Goldsmith did the score here, and he seems to have basically nicked on Her Majesty's Secret Service. I, w- I wonder if I can find a bit that sort of can queue up with it. Okay, this is the Bond theme. And this is a cue from Rambo First Blood 2 by Jerry Goldsmith called The Map. Close enough. I don't think it would hold up in court, but I do really miss Jerry Goldsmith scoring. We should do a Sound of Gonzo just on Goldsmith. It would be a rich mine of music to delve into. Also, I kept realising there were all these little synthy riffs that seemed to have been like Cameron had kept them in his back pocket when he left the scene of, ter- of the set of Terminator. Yeah, and, and just sort of, and I was thinking, that's synth totally and Rambo wrong. don't go together. This, no. no, it sounded really like technological sci-fi horror and i'm thinking that's 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 really not what this is Nah. to watch this film in a double bill this this just the second one with full metal jacket you'll get a really dark view of vietnam and then like this incredibly naive view of vietnam Mm. anyway uh so yeah the the second one's bollocks but that's still my second favorite rambo film Because it's all downhill from well, here. Because it made me laugh. Because it's mm. it's awful, but in a kind of just like like 
great awful cut. Yeah, well, like Rocky IV, it revels in its over-the-top ridiculousness. Yeah. It, it yeah. gets to the stage where it doesn't even seem to take itself seriously. I think if you're geared up for it, rather than, like, you, you can't watch it anywhere near First Blood. No. In fact, it would actually have been way better if it was nothing to do with First Blood. Absolutely nothing to do with that. Yes, agreed. Like Commando, you could watch First Blood Part 2 and Commando in a double bill, and you'd be like, yeah, this is absolutely fine. And I'm kind of tired of seeing dudes get shot. Can I please watch the Care Bears now? In uh, fact, it would have been better if it had been like, right, now Rocky's finished punching out the Russians, we're going to send them to Vietnam. It, it would have been better with Schwarzenegger, because then we wouldn't have yeah. like felt he, this is kind of like John Rambo played by Sylvester Stallone. Oh, there's this one bit where the, the, the good Vietnamese lady uh, who's sort of helping him out is talking to him. And she's talking to me in that kind of awful pidgin Chinese, like, what you want, what you do, when you, what you do when you go home. And she says at one point, what mean expendable? <laughs> and I wanted him to say, every one of us is expendable. Um, yeah. But he didn't. It is particularly galling when the actress in question has an accent that makes it patently apparent that she can speak perfectly good, clear American English without any problems whatsoever. In fact, she she is American, isn't she? I, I, it, it seems like she's, she doesn't speak like that. No. It almost looked like she was saying to the director, you know, I can just, like, speak in... I it. could just talk, you know? No! You talk in pigeon Vietnamese... <laughs> Tellingly, when I searched for clips with Ko on YouTube, you got Rambo meets Ko and Ko's death scene. You know, he just grabs a woman and then she gets shot immediately afterwards. That is how much of an impact she made on the viewers of this film. That is how much dramatic back and forth went on between these two characters. Expect a woman, though. No? You're right. You're right. Rob. Yeah. Yeah. You. You. Not. Get. Me. No. What we're looking at here is an absolute fridging, but one that's specifically designed to make Americans who hate Asians see them more as people. I suppose baby steps. And then at the end, I can't remember what it is, but it's basically there's a sort of a America and the Brave type song. Oh, God, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's it, the trigger for that whole downward spiral is when she gets killed. Yeah. Oh, that was it. Yeah. And they like, have this. You know, I could learn to love you in this this hellhole. Maybe, maybe we in the Viet Cong are not not so different. Oh, she's been shot. Oh no. Remember the call. Oh, what 
So that song, Peace in Our Life, was sung by Sylvester's brother, Frank Stallone, who you may have seen in Liar Liar. You slammed her, you dumped her donut, you gave her dog a sausage, you stuffed her like a Thanksgiving turkey! All right, all right, it's true, okay? I hooked her brains out. There, now you're happy? Co-starring hilarious anti-vaxxing face clown Jim Carrey. I was trying to remember where I'd heard Frank Stallone did something recently, and, uh, yeah. It was tweeting, this David Hogg pussy is getting a little big for his britches. This is, remember, a young man who survived the Stoneman Douglas high school shooting on February 14th, 2018, who campaigned for better gun control to protect schools, which put him in opposition with a hell of a lot of very angry adults who wanted him to shut up, including Frank Stallone. I'm sure someone from his age group is dying to sucker punch this rich little bitch. Watch him run home like the coward he is. He's the worst rep for today's youth. Headline-grabbing punk. Yeah, Frank was calling for a young person to punch David Hogg. That's how much peace in our life he wants. He later apologized for his terrible words. Your Honor, I object! And why is that, Mr. Reed? Because it's devastating to my case! Overruled. Good call! Anyway, so Rambo 3. Oh, for f- <laughs> This mission's important, John. I want you to come with me to help me lead the team. What do you say, John? I put in my time. What's that mean? It means my war's over. He never draws first blood. He only fights back. The first time was for himself. The second time was for his country. This time, Rambo, something went wrong. It's for his friend. Trumpman was a good man, and I'm really very sorry. You're just leaving him? What do you expect us to do? Send in a Delta team? Create an international incident? What about me? By the way you look, I can see you have no experience in war, do you? Fired a few shots. But if you're captured, will deny any participation or even knowledge of your existence. Sounds familiar. Who is this John Rambo? You'll find out. I know he's your friend. <laughs> but you cannot do this. You both will die. For what? Because you do it for me. Okay, so Rambo 3. Let's just get, get an idea of Rambo's age, by the way. He was 36 in First Blood, then 39 in First Blood Part 2. So in Rambo 3, he's a 42-year-old man. I, I, frankly, I have, any, I have respect for any man who can hit their 40s and then do running, jumping, climbing trees, blowing up helicopters while you're up there. Yeah, that, that's, that's one of the reasons why we always venerate James Bond, because he's a middle-aged man who can do that shit still. Um, so it starts off... Huh, huh, in a Filipino stick fighting ring. And again, if you've seen Hot Shots Part Dieu, 
while he's, you know, getting his fists wrapped up in those things, I'm just thinking, gummy bears, gummy bears, Oreos, Oreos, gummy bears, gummy bears. <laughs> Could not take it seriously. Then he fights that guy, and then Troutman goes in to say, <sighs> we need you for... Oh, I forgot about like, the fact that, um, like, in the in the second one, Charles Napier betrays him, and then Rambo goes in to get Charles Napier, and then, like, blows apart all the machinery and goes... <laughs> And then Troutman's like, come back home, Rambo. It's Chinatown. Yeah, then Rambo's gone off and he's now living with, like, Shaolin monks or something. Mm. Um, so Troutman goes in after he watches him do some fighting and, and eats a pig snout sandwich. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he totally does. He does. The reason we're laughing, especially for you younger viewers who might not have seen Hot Shots Part Dieu, it's a parody of this film, which, if you've seen it beforehand, renders this film a parody of itself. In Rambo 3, he's retreated to a monastic existence and yet is still doing kickboxer-style fighting, dipping his hands in glue and then nails and bits of glass. Whereas Topper Harley has done exactly the same thing, but dips his gloves in hot fudge sauce, gummy bears and Oreos. We're very silly, I'm sorry. And then basically he says, oh, we got some people who've been captured. Or so. Oh, that was it. Yeah, the Mujahideen need a lot of help. We've got two choices. I send in you, or they send me, a 62-year-old man. <laughs> a guy whose key speciality appears to be talking about John Rambo. <laughs> yes. Or liaising with John Rambo. And Rambo goes, oh, no more fighting. And then Clarence Boddicker from Robocop comes back to say, hey, we sent in Troutman, and dude, he got captured, so I guess this one's on you. And no, basically... don't trust him, Rambo, he's Boddicker. Exactly. It's saying in very simplistic, naive terms, if you don't fight, your friends will, and they'll get captured, so then you're going to have to go and rescue them. So... Which it could be argued is outlining the manipulative nature of, of the draft of military recruitment particularly in america the yeah. idea that you are fighting for your brothers and if you don't fight your brothers will die but this wasn't a satire no no that's it wasn't. not the point they <laughs> so then they go to afghanistan which in the early 80s folks this is uh, 87 i think or 88 um so the early to mid 80s um there was this uh, group called the mujahideen who were fighting against the russians and uh, this was still before the Cold War had ended. And um, you're going to have to go and look this one up. And I'm not going to make any empirical statements about it. But the 90s was a transitional period where the Mujahideen, many of these folks from Afghanistan, became the Taliban, which then became America's sworn and hated enemies. So this is a really weird, naive and uncomfortable film to watch. And The Living Daylights did pretty much the same thing. And they, they even they finished this film saying to the gallant fighting men and women of Afghanistan. Now, actually, I'm totally with that sentiment that America could recognize another uh, country's um, fighting abilities and, and for, them, for them to actually uh, tip the hat and go, yeah, well done. Problem is what came afterwards in the real world in which makes this really squeamish to sit and watch. Hmm. And, and because of the way it's framed, like Rambo goes in and, you know, he talks to the Mujahideen who are like desert warriors. And it's basically a Western. They're being bullied by the Russians who are like El Guapo and the Three Amigos yeah. coming in and messing up their shit. Indeed. It's basically a bug's life. Uh, and, and the Three Amigos. And Galaxy Quest. Which we should review together because they're the same film. Um, the, the poster for this film should have been Sylvester Stallone, a Hind D helicopter and Richard Krenner. Because they appear in that order of uh, priority. Yes. There is a lot of Rambo, 
the second billing is this Hind D helicopter who's in two out of every three frames of the film. Mm. <laughs> and Until Krenner as Troutman. They explode it. Do they explode it in this one? They do at the end. They do. That's yes. the one that he uh, plays chicken with in a tank. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah, folks. He drives a tank directly into a helicopter at full speed. And then walks out without a scratch on his face. And wins, yeah, that's the bizarre thing. And wins. Yes. And there's a there's a bit where like he gets a a spike through his abdomen. He very very slowly in a cave pulls it out, and it's oh ow ow ow. And it kind of reminds you of when he slashed up his arm in the the first film and was really badly hurt. So he's basically got this like horrible wound in his side, and he like knocks the cap off a bullet, and then pours gunpowder in the back of his wound. And then sets it on fire. Both sides of this bullet hole going through him like flare up, implying that he has somehow cauterized the wound internally. If you haven't seen the movie but want to see this scene, folks, it can be found on YouTube as Rambo 3, that scene when he lights himself on fire. I'm not a doctor, and that might actually be totally real and a thing you can totally do, but it seems like it's not a thing you can do. And I'm going to go back to Alien vs. Predator Requiem, Women are not tubes, and neither are men. <laughs> I can understand why he would cauterize the ends of this and basically just close them off so that basically the inside, his insides can heal over. But to yeah. basically like blister a, a hollow tube throughout your abdomen, that's going to infect the – like it's going to crack when he runs and jumps and climbs trees. Yes. And it's going to let in bacteria and get infected and he's going to die of yes. sepsis. And even if it heals, even if it heals, remember I said best case, best case scenario, he ends up with a wound that he can thread a rope through for the rest of his life to entertain the local children. He basically ends up a magician. Yes. Anyway, you know, write in, folks. If you're doctors and this is actually a thing you could do, then tell us. Anyway, so the short of it is, it's the same film as First Blood Part Two, Rambo One. Krenner gets uh, captured this time and he goes in to, to save the guy behind the other guy. And uh, there's a point where <laughs> the Russian guy, the Russians are bad again. The Russian guy goes, where are the missiles? And Krenner goes, they're close. And he goes, where are the missiles? In your ass. And it's like, oh, yeah, he is a badass 62-year-old. And they're like, stretch him further. So, yeah, rescue mission, gets buggered up. Rambo gets wounded. Burns himself internally, goes in for a second rescue mission, blows everyone up, plays chicken with a helicopter, blows that up. This film is dedicated to the gallant men who would one day become Al-Qaeda. The two films together are spectacularly naive. I mean, they're kind of worth watching. I would actually recommend watching the two of them, or maybe to, like watch one of them and get really drunk while you're watching it and work out some drinking games. Like every time something stupid happens, take a shot. Every time something looks fake, take a shot. Every time you see something that was done in Hot Shots Part Deer, take a shot. You will be paralytic drunk by halfway through each film. Yes, indeedy. But if you want to see an actual good film, not a brilliant film, but a good film with a really great finale uh, performance, uh, First Blood. 
And then there was a long time, two decades of not much at all. In the meantime, interim in 2006, uh, Stallone came back and did Rocky Balboa, which is fantastic. And we're going to be doing the Rocky series sometime soon. And he did Rambo two years later in 2008. <laughs> I was told it might be possible to rent your boat. We need to get upriver. Where? Into Burma. Burma's a war zone. Up the Sawin River is our best alternative. I can't help you out. Please, that will help change people's lives. Are you bringing in any weapons? Of course not. You're not changing anything. What happened? Well, no one knows. <laughs> You know what you are, what you're made of. Go! Yes, name is Cobra, or oh, come on, Cobra. It is not King Cobra and not Sweeting Cobra. quickly yes yeah uh this is rambo age 62 and he's living um i think should we give this one over to chris pratt to explain the story to know anything about a guy named john rambo open on villagers being thrown out into a rice field landmines blowing them up into pieces scrawny christians missionaries come to him and they're like are you john rambo he's like yeah and they're like we need you to take us up river and he's like it's a war zone up there. And they're like, yeah, we know. We're going to change things. And he's like, you bringing any weapons? They're like, of course not. They did not change anything. Go home. And then they come back in a rainstorm. This time, he says, nope, go home. They go home again. Bottom line, they go up river. Does not go well. Th- th- then they get captured. And Rambo has to go up there and rescue them with a bunch of mercenaries. The mercenaries are all horrible. In First Blood 1, it's cops. You don't really want him to kill the cops. You just want the conflict to be over, really. Which is why the whole A-team stuff is a bit confused. Second and third films, everyone's cartoonish, adding a layer of unreality. So the violence is just entertainment. But in this, these guys are butchers. We see many, many scenes where they're getting peasants rounded up and then running them across rice fields and then just mowing them down with machine gun fire and like throwing mines at them and and, throwing grenades and like making them jump on mines and it's just like it's it's astonishingly sadistic and Mark Kermode said that basically the whole of the like the first uh, eight tenths of the film is basically building these guys up as absolute monsters so that the last section of the film when Rambo turns them all into chunks of meat we can feel a grim satisfaction. It's like these men are uh, evil incarnate and you're right to do this, Rambo. Now, one of the things that Rambo thinks to himself in the middle of this is, while he's making himself a new knife, you said you didn't want to fight, but really you do want to fight. I don't remember the exact wording, but basically it kind of goes exactly the opposite of what he was saying in Rambo 2 about I just want my country to love me as much as I love it. It's the opposite of that. It's saying, look... 
I am just a killing machine. I think in Rambo 3, Richard Krenner, during the uh, the analogue of the Goldilocks and the Three Bears story, says that, you know, there was a, a sculptor who was asked, how do you make this statue so beautiful? And he just says, I took away the bits that weren't the statue. The statue was always there. And this is what we did with you. You were always a magnificent soldier. We just took away the bits that weren't a magnificent soldier. Yes. Yeah. I suppose that this then sort of moves on to a capability, a flair, and seemingly a compulsion to kill. And then Rambo kills everyone. 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 Everyone! Everyone. These are my notes while we were watching. Just awful, horrible, vile, vicious, bleak, hopeless, and depressing. Mm-hmm. Um, some actual quotes from the screenplay. Brother, I ain't never seen no shit like this. Word. Mm-hmm. Did Agent Michael Scarn write this one? I think so. <clears throat> a lot of Burmese women, and indeed boys, get raped. Yes. But luckily, before the white woman can get raped, Rambo turns up behind the guy and rips his throat out. Yes, indeedy. Takes the esophagus out of the neck area. You can't eat. You'll starve to death. So luckily the white woman is saved from being raped. And then the, uh, but you know, while, while this is happening, we're seeing the, the, the Burmese women are being horribly brutalized. But yes, you know, they, they don't concern Rambo quite so it's, much. It's, uh, this, that scene had me absolutely furious because it's so, um, the, the tone of it is what's happening to these women over here is utterly unimportant. It's purely so you can see what will happen to Julie Benz if Rambo doesn't get to her in time. Julie Benz is a great actress and she commits to this role, but it is a very, very thin role in a horribly written movie. And it's directed by Stallone, written by Stallone. He is a fairly astonishing man to be able to make Rocky Balboa and then two years later make this. His character of Rocky is absolutely and utterly lovable and you want to root for him. Mm -hmm. This version of Rambo in Rambo is a detestable maniac. He really is. He is awful. And you, you lose any semblance of who he was in First Blood. If it wasn't gone by now, yeah, it is now. There's, there's no relation no. at all. Um, there's also, and I noted this as well, the repercussions of adding CGI gore. This is the kind of like, when people get shot on screen, they react to go, oh, and they fall backwards. And then a spray of CGI red bursts out of them. And everything's done in After Effect. All the explosions happen on computers. They don't actually use squibs or explosives. It's almost like they're trying to keep the forest as safe as possible and like not leave any traces behind. Um, and from the looks of it on the, the, the credits, I can at least say, well done, they seem to have gotten a lot of the actual film crew on location where they filmed this. So they weren't all just like bringing a bunch of white Americans in and going, like, we're just going to make a film and we're going to abuse the Burmese. No, they allowed the Burmese to abuse the Burmese. Um, but here's the thing. If it's a very, very, very gory film, but the actors can't see the gore because it won't be added in until later. They're going through a different experience than what you're watching. Yes. It's the same as if they're being attacked by a tennis ball on a stick. If there's nothing there for them to react to, they're not really buying it. And there's a deadening process to that. The idea of, you know, when, when Rambo like slots people and just like CGI holes appear in their bodies and a spray of CGI blood. And because Stallone is not having to carry out the practical stunt himself... With the resultant gore, he doesn't ever stop and think. Well, this is this is pretty intense. Maybe maybe that just the the mounting of all of this just on on itself becomes nihilistic 
eventually. Uh, it just eventually it event- didn't take long. Well, you know, it, it, it never it, there's never an ethos there at all. But at the end, when they're being the, 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 all the mercenaries are being uh, lined up and tortured and about to get shot by a firing squad, and then Rambo turns up and then with pinpoint accuracy shoots everyone in the camp, knocking off legs and throwing aside torsos. Just with like a giant jeep mounted gun, like at the back of, ha- of the uh, Warhogs in Halo, just kills everyone. Like he's a gun happy Jason Voorhees. And when he's done with that, Julie Ben sort of looks at him and goes, Oh. And then she hugs the, the male monk who's also somehow survived and goes, Oh. But there's no point where she looks at John Rambo like, Oh my God. You are a monster, an inhuman monster. Not that I'm not grateful for you saving my life, but the way you did it is so horrifying, I'm having difficulty even wrapping my head around it. And there's never any point when she challenges him. There's never any point when uh, she has to say to him, I recognize that you have this violence that you have to live with. I understand war and conflict better now that I've seen the ugliest possible side of it. But there is something to be accomplished. There is something to be lived for. There is something to fight for rather than just killing. There is never any ethos or... I want to say morality, but that's kind of a thorny word for me. There's never any sense of purpose. It's all just the chaos of war. And it's almost like like open admission that given half the chance, mankind will be this shitty to each other. But which sometimes is sometimes not given any chance. Yes, yeah, which is such state. a depressing situation. Now, yeah. now, it could be that Stallone's like, you oh, know, this shit really does happen in Burma. I want to educate people about it. There has to be some shred of light in this, some some idea that it's it's not just the white woman gets away. That there has to be, like these beleaguered people of Burma. We never get to see them. They never talk to Ram. But like, I don't. I'm not sure even a single peasant survives. There's a lot of people who walk away at the end, or not even at the end, sort of while, while the whole thing's about to blow up. Yeah. It, it's just kind of like if, if you walk off set this direction, you will not be seen or heard from again. But at, at least in Rambo 3, he's fighting with the, the Mujahideen. Like, they're under fire and he's helping them and he's, he's giving them more of a chance against the Russians. Mm. Fantastical, though that might seem. This is a real-life situation. They're, they're putting their stupid ass... 80s action movie politics into or, or lack of politics and just a lack of understanding but at least it had a sense of like you know let's defend the underdogs at this point in this it was almost like let's just kill and if we kill enough these people will live death by math there's also a bit when Rambo lays down a claymore and a guy steps on it and a fucking nuclear explosion goes off. It's all done in After Effects, so it doesn't look real at all. But then Stallone runs out of the jungle. It's like he's in the Hunger Games. Like a firestorm's chasing him. It's all CG. It's so disproportionately violent. Mm. Relative to the rest of the series, that is. It doesn't match the second or third films any more than the first one does. This has the makings, or at least the premise of a good film. Imagine if it was there was no mercenary squad. It was just John Rambo, and th- he was being challenged by this woman, and then she was with him pretty much the whole time, and he was trying to keep her safe. But also, he was trying to to save and rescue the village, make it a western again, uh, and basically uh, dispatch the baddies, but in less depressingly horrendous ways. Yeah. 
Well, what I mean, to be honest... Then you can go back to him being a survivalist in the jungle, is what I mean. Yeah, indeed. What I would actually have found quite interesting about... if, If you'd had a scenario where he didn't have the mercenary team, it was just him, is that there would have been choices to make. He would have had to decide, right, I can't save everybody at this particular juncture... Either I can save this person or I can save that person. But what actually happens is as he's walking past everybody going, oh, well, I can't save everybody because he's on his way to rescue Julie Benz, his team are coming up behind him and mopping up all the people that he hasn't been able to save. And at the end, he you know, is walking in that, that fatigues again and he ends up at a farmhouse with R. Rambo on the mailbox. I almost thought, fuck you for invoking First Blood. Like, this film hasn't earned that. Mm. but I mean you know it's it's his film series and obviously he was there from the very beginning he did multiple rewrites on the original uh, uh, First Blood so obviously that he's got his stamp on it he had already gotten the respect for, for the first couple of Rocky films yeah. and like I said he, he can be so talented and so splendid an actor to watch yes and really. this is maybe his lowest point in his career <laughs> I can't think of a worse film he's been in yeah. a worse appearance and like that, that it does such a disservice to first blood and even it's two goofball stupid ass sequels enter last blood when i came home a long time ago i was lost then i met gabrielle family that I never thought I'd have. I need to go to Mexico. I found my father. He's not a good man. Porque nunca se ha portado como tu padre. That man is more your father. She went to Mexico. I never came back. Who are the men that took her? They are the most violent cartel in Mexico. If you go after them, you won't come back. I gotta get her home. Andas perdido, viejito. ¿Dónde está? Que es de ti esta. Oh, she's got is me. I want revenge. I want them to know that death is coming. Hay que estar bien vivos. Okay, for the fifth and final part of this show, it is now several months, possibly even several years, since we recorded our parts on one to four. We've now finally seen Last Blood. We are just sitting down after getting back from the cinema, prior to getting this episode out to you hot off the presses. It's not possible that it could be worse than four. You would think... (laughs) So much has happened since 2009. He's made Creed and Creed Mm 2. Two beautiful films. fan bloody tastic operatic heartfelt reprisal of 
the Rocky series, but handing it forward to the next generation. They are made with love and passion, and he brought in the right people to help him realise that vision. And Last Blood is the other side of Sylvester Stallone, the same side we saw in First Blood Part 4, which would make this one Last Blood or Fifth Blood, because... He survives at the end, folks. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll, this is going to be full spoilers. Um, he shouldn't survive at the end. That's what this film should be. Let me just say what other films have done in a similar vein. Other films uh, say, like, Unforgiven. You've got a violent man who's trying to live a peaceful life after and uh, sort of atone for his sins through just being a decent human being. And he gets dragged back in to do a horrible thing. And he does it in defense of the weak and uh, the vulnerable. And terrible things happen. And he walks away from it at the end and goes and continues in his normal life and raises his kids. That's a, I don't like most Clint Eastwood films, but that is a good way of telling that story. Mm-hmm. You've got... Um, Kill Bill. Yeah. Uh, somebody has a life taken away from them and a daughter taken away from them and... Goes they, on a roaring rampage of revenge. Exactly. Um, it is meant to be just revenge because at the, initially she has no hope of recovery, but it ends up being a recovery. Hmm. Whereas this is the... Opposite, yeah. Uh, you got Rocky Balboa, which is, uh, you know, old, old Rocky, who's like, I still got a little left in the basement. Just like, uh, we're going to cover the Rocky films at some point, and I hope we're in a better place by that stage. Um, we can only be better, because like as soon as we see Rocky 1 again, we'll be like, oh, Sylvester, you're lovely. But it's it's like, he's an old, old dog with a little fight left in him, and, and it's like, you're not going to be able to do this for long at all. This is just your last gasp, your last punch, but you're going to need to do this for the right reasons. There's that. Or there's Creed, where it's, you know, the, the next generation comes along and says, I want to be able to do this for me. Mm. And he, as the old veteran, helps him. And then continues in uh, in Creed 2 in a way that's so good, it pretty much finishes off the whole Rocky and Creed saga. It's kind of final. Not in a sort of, oh, there can never be any sequels, but like if there are no no sequels, then that's perfect. That's wonderful. And it's not about that with the nurture in the next generation. And there's another film that I kept thinking of repeatedly, which is Logan, where James Howlett is on his last legs. He's old. He's knackered. He doesn't know if he's able to do this anymore. He's filled with regret. He's barely getting by. He's being looked after by other people. And he, in turn, is looking after someone even less capable of getting by. It's He, he is fucked. Mm. And then he gets saddled with this kid that, well, you've seen Logan, it's magnificent. And it's about ferrying that new generation forwards and just being able to give them the tiniest chance for an old dog again to just fight one last time to give them that little leg up, that little just chance. It's also about somebody who's experienced so much trauma that they're their vaunted skill and capability and the fact that they're the best they are at what they do is, to a large extent, utterly fucked by what they've been through. Yeah, they've uh, they've experienced so much. They're not... Be- <laughs> Logan is not very good at what he does anymore. And he's able to just about get through, but 
we all know the end of Logan, and it feels perfect. I don't use that P word often, but those are two sagas coming to a close in just the right way. Rambo Last Blood decides, rather than it being about helping the new generation go forwards, rather than it being about an old man on his last legs, it's about a guy that we've now totally forgotten about. I can't find his legs! We've now forgotten John Rambo in First Blood. He's nowhere near this film. This is digging up the grave of John Rambo and throwing in dismembered corpses. It's about that old guy who's now somehow better at killing than ever before. There's never any question as to whether he can get through this one. That is not how PTSD works. It is not a superpower. At one point, he throws his drugs aside and gets better at what he does. He's like taking pain pills at the beginning and all just for focus. But like it's it's almost like, I don't need this shit anymore. And then he becomes super-powered as a result. But not super-powered in a kind of, this is, the lo- this is super intensity before you burn out. In a kind of, you want to be as good as you were, stop taking any kind of medication. Oh, brilliant. That is the best advice. Mm-hmm. Okay. The full spoilery story is 11 years after returning from Thailand, where he decimated all of Burma. John Rambo's been uh, just living on a farm peacefully, raising horses. He still dug a bunch of tunnels underneath it because he's a crazy Vietnam veteran who's obsessed with the Viet Cong. And, uh, and and the foxholes and all of that Vietnam stuff, which is terrifying. But at the same time, there's a weird kind of peace to what he's doing. Mm. And he's found a, uh, a kind of a balance with his Maria. We'll call her his housekeeper. Uh, and uh, there's they, they get visited by Gabrielle, his niece, who I gathered is John Rambo's sister's daughter. That oh, Yeah, putting the pieces together, that would be my guess. Although her mother is mentioned only in passing. They really don't want to go into it. No. Uh, and uh, she, her, her father is Mexican, and she's just about to go to college, and she's like... I'm 17 now. I really want to just sort of get this thing squared away with my dad. And they tell her, no, don't go see this man who lives in Mexico. Do not think about him. He's bad news. And don't go and see that friend of yours. She's bad news too, Giselle. And uh, she goes, okay, I won't. And then goes to Mexico, looks for her father, who's like, oh, you look just like your mother. I never cared for your mother. I never cared for you. Get away from me. And it's like, oh, okay. So he's terrible. Fair enough. And then she goes and cries to her um, terrible friend who takes her to a club and sells her to uh, Mexican cartel dudes who are looking for vulnerable women that they can turn into heroin-addled prostitutes uh, in exchange for the bracelet on her wrist. I'm, I'm kind of running ahead a little bit here, but the effort to which these guys go, the lengths to which they The depths to which they'd sink... To render this girl utterly useless to them in a financial context. They, they, they cut ridiculous. her cheek up, they addle her with heroin. Yeah, they, they've, they've, there's a, they have a specific scene where they parade her down the corridor um, between the, the lined up rest of their girls, just to make it utterly clear that she is the prettiest of all of them. And then and they then, ugly her up but, real good. Yeah. I don't think it's like this in his mind. But when he tries to convey this to you folks, this is what Trump means by Mexicans. (laughs) Bad hombres. They are 
worse than cartoons. They are gloating, sadistic maniacs. All of them.、Mm. There's not a shred of humanity or or anything resembling even a character among them. They're they're basically just NPCs in a video game where you go to Mexico and kill lots of cartel dudes. They are simultaneously insanely rich and also utterly incompetent at business decisions. They're like at the end, they turn into this incredibly close knit military group invading John's farm.、Uh, but before that, they were also like, "Oh, you shouldn't come around here, hombre." And also, if that's the decision that they're going to make, or if if they are like really militarily well trained, why are they wasting all of this manpower and time to? Somehow we never see it happen, but somehow they manage to get across the border. This is a convoy of、uh, militarized vehicles. Basically, it looks like the military in black SUVs, like ten of them in a row, are going from Mexico into Texas, El,、yeah. El Paso. So it's like. Okay,、uh, this is literally what the border patrol has been set up to、uh, avoid. Let's not ever show what happens when they get to the border. What is your business in the United States? Hola, señor. We are here to kill one cabron. I bring my private army. Okay, that's good. Let him through. What? <laughs> like we know that the the fence. Um, they even have a shot of it. They have a, sh- they have a, a tiny, flimsy little a fence. section of fence. They also have a scene where、uh, John drives through, just like a barbed wire piece of wire. That apparently is the border. They, they're in Arizona. Oh right. Apparently,、okay. so、um, yeah. So maybe they came after him through the gap he left in the border wall. Maybe. Maybe. Wall. Barbed wire. It's not. It's not a wall. It's not a wall. It'll never be a wall. I. Oh God. There's too much to do before you turn it into a wall, dudes. Anyway, so um, to cut a long story short, all that thing about like trying to save innocence and give、uh, the next generation a leg up and give them a chance, that all comes to nothing because、uh, she's dead before they get back home. She's dead、uh, for the middle end of Act Two.、Uh, she, he goes to get her back, kills a bunch of dudes, like rips a guy's. Like um like his rib cage out through his、collarbone. mouth, <laughs> he like rips a guy's collarbone out with excruciating detail. Just like if you really like sadistic treatment of NPCs in video games, this is the film for you because like you can really see this man's terrible, terrible pain as he is torn to pieces by John Rambo. Um, and then he tells uh, uh, John where to go. Blah blah blah. He goes back and forth. Eventually, goes into the brothel and kills a bunch of Johns with a hammer. He's just smashing. Like nobody in authority there gets killed. Only the Johns. And obviously, they are perpetuating this. But ultimately, it's it's not about them. But Stallone saw Old Boy, or maybe the Josh Brolin remake. Finds his niece, brings her home. Driving in an SUV with her across the border, she's been shut up with fourteen hits of heroin in four days. It's it's ridiculous. Also, there's a bit at the beginning where he he specifically says when they find out that she's gone missing in Mexico and he gets in the truck to go and find her, they have a conver- he and Maria have a conversation about the reason he's not calling the police, which is that American cops can't do anything on the south side of the border. Okay, and Mexican cops won't give a shit. Okay,、uh, I realise that they've tried to sidestep that whole 
Sicario. Taken, I was thinking. That whole sort of can of worms of... This whole thing about them taking American girls and Mm. and doing terrible things to them, you're kind of getting the wrong end of the stick here. You You don't sidestep that by making this girl's father Mexican. She's still American... Okay, the American government, one assumes, will still care that she was kidnapped, assaulted, drugged and raped and to all intents and purposes murdered. That's something that might merit an investigation, don't you think? No, they just bury her in the back garden and he drives off to do his thing. No one will care. So, yeah, it's it's like the, re- the death of innocence dies in his lap in his car. And then all that's left is hatred and rage. And his housekeeper says to him, it is as though my heart has been ripped from my chest as she leaves. And it's like, this is one of the most depressing things I've ever seen. But then he decides he's going to be Jason Voorhees for real this time, goes back. He wants them to feel the same amount of grief he does. Cuts the head off of one of the brothers. We don't actually get to... This is the guy who commits the most sadistic acts. Uh, and, and like really torments the girls in his charge. And we don't get to see him kill. He just turns, he's, he's, he's a body and a head. And then his brother and his crack team of cartel forces invade America and John's farm, which he's home alone. They go into, they foolishly go into his Vietnam tunnels after he blows up the lawn on them as they get in there. And then it's just like, kill this guy with a rake, kill this guy with a booby trap, kill this guy with a bear trap, kill this guy with a nail gun, kill this guy with a bottle, sixth guy into outer space, seventh guy made out of jam. And it's, it's, it's deadening just to watch. It's like, nah, he's dead, he's dead, eh, he's dead. And they've never established how many there are. So it's like, Every few minutes or so, you're just like, well, they must be down to two or three now. Oh, still got loads left. Oh, they're still going. Oh, they're still going. Apparently Killing them he all. brought the entirety of Mexico with him. And then he gets the last guy, Johnny Tapia from Bad Boys 2. It's not the same actor. He's basically just the same loathsome absence of character. Fires four arrows at him uh, um, on the... Uh, pinning him to the barn door, and then as he has threatened to do, walks slowly towards him, again like Jason Voorhees, cuts into his chest while he's still screaming, and tears his heart out of his chest, Kalima style, in this moment that made the audience laugh. It's like, it's the most depressing, grim, horrible film ever, but this is a cartoon, this is Mortal Kombat, like the original 16-bit era Mortal Kombat. I want you to feel like I feel, my heart's been torn out of my chest. It's a metaphor. <laughs> Something occurred to And that's me. the end of the film. He's been shot, so he goes and sits on the porch and, and talks about how uh, everyone that he's ever loved has died, but he will do what he can to uh, keep their memory alive. And it's like, everything you've just done is about not keeping their memory alive and just about inflicting hatred and rage on Mexicans. Mm. Uh, like the, the worst Mexicans. Like it's There's a couple of good Mexicans. There's a woman who might be Elena from uh, Fast and Furious and turns out to be a journalist, Paz Vega from Spanglish, who kind of helps him a bit. But as Sharon pointed out... It's information that... That Google could have given him, yeah. frankly. It's, but he's it's an old man. It's to find there, things. You never see a computer in the whole thing because no. it would scare his catchment audience well, of old men. This is the thing. This is a film about an old man visiting his hurt on a world he doesn't understand. It's Harry Brown. It's Taken. It's all of that shit 
granddad fantasies about tearing things apart because you don't get them. Literally tearing, tearing the heart apart. out. I, I, I was you like, don't... What, who, which Mexicans hurt you, Sylvester? You don't... Why this so very specifically? And why now? Because that's another thing oh, that's happened God. since the Rambo timing. 4. Oh. The bad hombre shit. The children in cages. The hatred and fear of... Mexican people right now, right now in the States, more than ever in its history, apart from maybe the Alamo. <laughs> and you and make, even then. And you make this now. And it's not about rescuing the good Mexicans from the bad. Like, you could do this like a Western. Like, you go in there and go, look, these people are fucked. The police aren't going to do shit. Rambo can do it and help these people. You know, it's a, it's a white saviour fantasy, but it's still better than... The white saviour who fails and has nothing left but murderous rage. You're still a white saviour. You just didn't save anything. This film very originally decides not to rescue innocence, decides not to pass it on to the next generation, decides not to make this about an old guy who might not be able to manage this. It's about Jason Voorhees fucking up Mexican cartel dudes. And that's it. An old man who hates... Wow. And that's that's all there is. Hate is all there is to this. You never see him emotionally bond with anybody. Every man in this film exists for him to kill horribly. Every woman in this film exists to provide him with practical assistance whether she wants to or not. Yeah. Carmen, he emotionally blackmails into helping him. And Giselle, who's the woman who sold his niece for a bracelet... There's a bit in one of the TV spots for Last Blood where Rambo, holding up a knife, goes, I'm going to hurt you real bad. And they use the Kuleshov effect to make it seem like he's saying that to a horrible, remorseless pimp. But in actual fact, he's saying it to this conniving but defenseless 98-pound Latina woman. They're deliberately obfuscating elements of this story that they know will drive people away in the promotion of it. And they know the average woman watching that, devoid of context, her flesh is going to crawl. She'd be like, whoop, not seeing that movie. Even in context, that scene is repellent. So they can market it cheerily with, it's not everyone's cup of tea. Oh, this is a little bit extreme. But the reality is they've got a film that a lot of people would find it hard to recommend. I'm gonna hurt you real bad. That's how he starts the day. It's only going to go downhill from there. I lament the fact that this film series has diminished in complexity, has diminished in internal conflict, has diminished in what it means since the first one. This is the same territory as like one of the 80s horror franchises where the first one was really good and it's, it's just the law of diminishing returns. It's just that it took a lot longer and it was made by someone who has no excuse to, be, to become this rotten, to make it this bad. It's, it's, it's a very personal thing for him. I do not get why this was the direction he took it in. Like when he made Rambo 4, it was uh, one of the uh, subtitles for it was John Rambo. He made it circa Rocky Balboa as kind of a, this is the last one I'll be doing. And then Creed happened, so then Last Blood happened. And it's got shitty reviews, and it will get shitty reviews, and this will be the legacy of Rambo. Everyone will just remember that it just got gradually worse. 
And he had every opportunity to, to watch Logan and go, yeah, I want something like that. Uh, first Blood 4 is kind of uh, confusing. Uh, just revenge porn. Nasty stuff. I need something more like Logan, you know, a, a good ending for John. And it started out not too terribly. Like, like I said, it was just on the ranch. This is his family home. And th- this is the thing that made me say fuck you at the end of the last uh, Rambo film because like he came home and it's like right you didn't this did not warrant that but okay now we're here he seems more gentle here and more personable than he's ever been as mm-hmm. Rambo and then it goes to hell and he becomes uh, an avatar of hatred and terrible violent revenge. Peter de Bruges of Variety called it horrible, gut-wrenching carnage to witness, and yet it's been calibrated to elicit whoops and cheers from fans who faithfully followed along as Rambo evolved. Yes to every single word in that sentence, apart from the word evolved. evolved. Devolved. Anybody remember that 1986 Rambo cartoon? Uh. Rambo. Savage forces of General Warhawk threaten the peace-loving people of the world. There's only one man to call. Get me Rambo. From the canyons of skyscrapers to the canyons of remote mountain peaks, Liberty's champion is unstoppable. Rambo. Helped by the mechanical genius known as Turbo. Of disguises named Cat, the honor bound protector of the innocent, Rambo, the force of freedom. Just time enough to thank our $15 top tier patrons who get sponsor credit every episode. Thank you to Joel Robinson, Benjamin Biddle, Abel Savard, Michael Hasco, Connor Kennedy, Brian Novak, Evan Jankowski, Sarah Montgomery, Dan Hepner, Johan Clayson, Tyler Long, Joe Gasiga, Greg Downing, Tim Rosinski, Christopher Wolfe. Kat Esman, Cassandra Newman, Timothy Green, Matthew A. Siebert, Joseph Gluck, Luke Hatfield, Nick Ord, Duran Barnett, Tom Painter, Finbar Nicole, Jameis Enright, Mark Luksh, Dan Mayer, Joe Crow, Chris Finnick, Toby Jungius, Dave Hickman, Aaron Lecluse, Kieran Dashler, and Lorraine Chisholm. Now, the one Rambo film I would really heartily recommend over all the others, including over First Blood, is the Garth Jennings 2007 comedy film I am the son of Rambo! You want to be the son of Rambo? It's set in England in 1982. It's about two kids, one of whom is shy and overprotected, the other of which is a wayward scallywag, seeing First Blood and deciding to make a sequel. This film will get its own full episode of School of Movies. It's so entirely unofficial and not linked to the Rambo series, they had to add a W to the title. But frankly, I feel like that works in its favour. So that's your homework. Go and find and watch Son of Rambo in HD. And if you'd also like to see First Blood, that is a legitimate classic. You could also watch Rambos 2 and 3 for a laugh, Hot Shots Part Deux for a double laugh, and avoid Rambos 4 and 5 like bubonic plague. And we're going to finish on an episode of Extra Credits on Call of Juarez, The Cartel. I've never heard Daniel Floyd get angry, but he gets angry in this. 
and the crimes of Techland, the developers of this game, are remarkably close to those of everybody involved with Last Blood. So here's something to think about. Please don't play this game. Not because it's reprehensible, not because it's racist. It, it is both of those things, but that's your place to judge for yourself. I say don't play this game because it is just plain boring. It's an unfun slog of an FPS that is so banal and brainless, even the most ardent shooter fans are going to have a hard time seeing it through to the end. Maybe if you're an aspiring designer and you want a great example of a poorly put together game for a learning experience. Maybe. And even then... Eh. Before we get into this, we do want to thank Mr. Rob Rath. He was a big help in putting this episode together, so many thanks to him. And now to the heart of it. What is happening in Mexico right now is a tragedy. It's a nation locked in a war that's rarely talked about north of the border. A war that is often dismissed as criminal activity because of the nature of its participants, and thus not afforded the attention it deserves. But make no mistake, the drug war is a very real war. 40,000 people have died in the last five years in this war. That's ten times the number of U.S. soldiers who've died in Iraq, or about a third as many Iraqi civilians. This is a war being fought not solely by the Mexican police, but by every branch of its armed services. And even though the use of the army and the marines in the last few years have done major damage to the drug cartels, the level of violence has only grown with each passing month. Today, most major security assessments see the destabilization caused by the drug war as a major threat to the Mexican government. But while those numbers may capture the scope of this war, it doesn't convey the horror that goes with it. You see, it's not a conventional war. No one's playing by the rules in this thing. Rape, torture, and kidnapping are all regular tools in this conflict. The battlegrounds are apartment blocks and neighborhoods. Children and families are both its victims and its weapons. And the worst part is, it's a conflict without end, because neither side has a clear end goal. It's not like a war between two nations where one side can just surrender and then the other side will take over. The drug lords have no interest in controlling the country, and the Mexican government has no system in place for the narcos to surrender. It's just a complete mess. Now, when I heard that a game about this subject was coming out, I'll admit I was foolishly hopeful. I thought, you know, this conflict gets so little publicity, and most of the major video game buying nations have very little involvement in it. We might have a chance to really get a game that tackles tough, complicated current events even-handedly, and lets the player explore many of the larger questions that surround events like these. Questions that matter to all of us, no matter how far from these particular events we live. Now, this sort of game could really make a difference. Naive, perhaps, but one can always hope. But instead, we got a game that neither respects the lives that have been lost in this conflict, nor the player themselves. Where do I even start? To begin with, this might be the most racist game I've ever played by a major publisher. I know we often see games guilty of turning minorities into horrible stereotypes, but Call of Juarez goes above and beyond. This is where that thing we warned about last week comes up. Lazy design leading to terrible misinformation. I don't know if the designers just weren't thinking about what any other play meant, or if they thought that maybe having playable minority characters in the game exempted them from any accusations of racism. Probably the former. But then from the very outset, they do go out of their way to mention that the female African-American FBI agent was only recruited through a minority outreach program. And you know what? I would totally let that slide if it weren't for the rest of the game. The entire game is about the evils of minorities, about their criminal behavior and how we should put them down. I know that sounds extreme, hyperbolic even, but bear with me for like 30 seconds. In Call of Juarez, the cartel, you spend the entire game shooting waves of African-Americans and Latinos. You shoot wave after wave after wave of them, pretty much to the point where it's dehumanizing. So here we have the clear start of that accidental indoctrination through lazy design thing we talked about before. But okay, Call of Juarez isn't the only game guilty of this. We said as much ourselves last week. But wait, I'm not done. There is an achievement for killing black people. Early in the game, there's a level called Gangbang. No, I'm not kidding. Where you go to one of the poor districts of LA to incite gang violence. Not kidding again. On Gangbang, you're awarded a trophy for killing at least 40 people. 
And it is at this point that I should probably mention that this is the only level where every enemy is black. And yes, this is the only time you're given an achievement for killing enemies in a specific level of the game. The achievement's called Bad Guy. You can look it up. This is a perfect example of why, as a designer, you have to think about what your mechanics mean. But the lazy design extends even further, into the research. All throughout the game, there are small details that are just simply wrong. The characters in the game use the phrase, gold or lead. But so far as I can tell, that's not a phrase anyone actually says. The phrase is plata o plomo, silver or lead. It was coined by Pablo Escobar back in the 80s. You pretty much can't Google the drug war or spend 15 minutes on Wikipedia researching the topic without running into that phrase. There's no reason for not getting that right. As a designer, when you're dealing with real-world events, especially real-world events that involve the deaths of thousands of people and are still happening as we speak, there's no excuse for that lack of effort. Think of how much time and effort Gearbox Software invested in making the Brothers in Arms series as historically accurate as they possibly could. It showed respect for the subject matter, and helps to educate anyone who played the game. The guys at Creative Assembly and Paradox do exhaustive research on their games, fighting to make sure every minute detail is as accurate as possible, and their subject matter took place hundreds of years ago. By comparison, Techland completely degrades their subject matter by demonstrating how little it really matters to them, and commits the worst crime a designer can, willfully misinforming your audience. But the small details aren't really what get me. No, no, it's the large ones, the tragic ones, that really bother me. About a third of the way through the game, there's a level in a strip club called Candy Store. You're ostensibly going there to look for a missing stripper due to a narrative leap that I won't even try to explain. While going through the level, you casually strangle two of the strippers to get information out of them. And normally I'd spend the next paragraph railing against this casual violence toward disempowered women, but you know what, we're short on time and it's honestly not even the worst part of the level. The worst part is the lie it frames about sex trafficking. To me, the kidnapping and sale of human beings into slavery to be exploited as sexual objects is one of the world's most heinous crimes. Tragically, it's become a very profitable activity for Mexican drug cartels. And Call of Juarez does bring the topic up, but even here, they couldn't be bothered to research the subject. In Call of Juarez, the cartel, they frame the question of sex trafficking as Mexican drug dealers are crossing the border to steal our women. That is the most despicable perversion of truth I've seen in a game. That isn't how it happens. Mexican cartels don't come to the U.S. to kidnap women. That, that doesn't even make sense. Kidnapping American women to sell in Mexico would be insanely risky on their part, and far less profitable than doing it the other way around. The overwhelming majority of sex trafficking between Mexico and the United States involves Mexican women being kidnapped and then sold in the U.S. And yet, in Call of Juarez, they chose to falsify this. Maybe this was done out of sloth, or maybe out of some idea that the game would sell better in the States if they played off our basest fears and tactfully avoided implying that some portion of the U.S. might in some way be complicit in this activity. But you know what? We're big enough to take it. And if not, well, that's our problem. But as a game designer, your audience trusts you. It's your responsibility not to betray that trust. I'm willing to wager there's now at least one person out there who now believes more firmly that Mexicans are stealing our women because of this game. And that is f***ing disgraceful. It is a shame to what it means to be a designer, and it belies the responsibility we as a group hold when producing mass media. We can do a lot better than this. We can inform and educate and entertain, but failing all of that, we can at least be honest. Juarez, Mexico has the highest number of female homicides per capita in the world. I would really, really like it if this was the heaviest episode we ever have to make. Thanks for sticking with me. We'll see you next week. Stallone has also spoken with JoeBlow.com about his Indian reservation idea for a fifth Rambo film. Sweet, Sweet Jesus, Jesus, no. Just, okay. Stop. Okay, stop. You've torn apart Colorado. 
You ripped apart Vietnam, again, twice. You smashed up Afghanistan. You beat the Russians, they're no longer our enemies. You went to Burma and killed everyone. Now you've killed everyone in Mexico. Please leave the Native Americans alone. And I know John Rambo is supposed to be half Navajo, but Sylvester Stallone isn't. And picking up this dropped thread after 40 years and attempting to portray Native Americans with the sensitivity that the series before has shown is not going to be worth it. It's called Last Blood. Just stop. I very rarely do this, but I am begging this film series to finish. <laughs> Seriously. I, I, I'm always like, you know what? Yeah, yeah, let them carry on doing this stuff. It's pleasing some people. This film is poison. It can only hurt. It can only hurt. Each consecutive instalment is a greater disservice to the original First Blood. And I actually do really still love seeing Sylvester Stallone on screen. But not like this. Not like this. Who's this making happy? I mean, I've heard quite a few people say the end bit where he's running around the tunnels killing dudes left, right and centre is hilarious or entertaining. I didn't get entertained by it, but at least they were. But even they are saying it would have been nice to have a movie before that. And we're going to end on that. That is it, folks. No razzmatazz, no philosophy. This whole film series has turned into a dummy full of guts. I've been Alex Shaw. I've been Sharon Shaw. And school, school is forever out, out. <laughs> on Rambo. So to play us out, this is Jerry Goldsmith's original score for First Blood. No sixth film, please. Let this soldier rest. Thank you.